Chapter Two of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Two. Plants that had blossomed. Now you know as well as though I had written a volume to tell you about it that Mrs. Judge Burnham's life had not yet settled into peace. Indeed, it was so very far from peace that her wise-eyed son, child though he was understood perfectly that his mother was sad-hearted and troubled. Yet had Mrs. Burnham been called upon to tell you her life story as it had been lived in the past five years, it would have been difficult, perhaps impossible, for her to have explained how she had reached the spot where she now seemed stranded, so insensibly had she drifted thither. You remember with what strong purpose of soul she took up life anew at the bedside of her baby, when God gave him back to her after the last hope had vanished? She had by no means forgotten it. Eagerly, I might almost say fiercely, had she tried to live the resolves born in that solemn hour. The sorrowful part of it was that her husband had been through no such experience, had made no such resolves, did not understand his wife, and had no sympathy with the desires that filled her soul. His sorrow had been heavy, his anxiety intense, or, perhaps, fierce would be the best word to describe it. But the moment the strain was over, he was ready to take up life again where they had dropped it so suddenly when their fears came upon them. It perplexed and annoyed him to find that his wife was not ready for this, that a subtle and to him utterly inexplicable change had passed over her. Once more Mrs. Burnham was struggling with the problem with which her married life had begun, namely, how shall two walk together except they be agreed? Struggling with it, with immensely greater odds against her than when she first began this divided life. You will recall the fact that the husband of a few weeks' standing had succeeded, with one pleasant pretext after another, in drawing her away from the prayer meeting, from the Sabbath school, from very regular attendance at church. More than that, he had even drawn her away from her Bible and her daily secret communion with God, not suddenly so that it startled her, not consciously perhaps on his part. He did not understand these things. How should he? He did not mean to do his wife an injury. But the excuses were so numerous, so plausible. The influence was so steady and so agreeable, it was so hard to break away from his plans, even when they jarred her conscience. The tendency had been always downward, but so slight that it was only dimly felt. Gradually, too, she had been drawn more or less into the whirl of society, and found that Mrs. Judge Burnham had a circle of influence which was more fascinating than any phase of fashionable life which had ever been presented to the girl, Ruth Erskine. Then had come that holy thing into the innermost center of her heart, mother love. You remember how she made all interests, even the masters, second to this? And you remember, perhaps, how closely the shadows had drawn about her on that evening when the little life almost went out? Since that time, now nearly five years in the background, there had been kept up a steady struggle between her Christian life and her husband's tastes and plans. Not that she had not tried to explain to him, but the views which could not be explained during those first few months of married life were much harder to explain now. When she tried to tell him that, as a Christian, she must and must not, 
he confronted her with the statement that she was a Christian when he married her, and that she had by no means obtruded her peculiar ideas so offensively then as now. When she tried to make him understand the solemn experience, lived on her knees, beside what she thought was the dying bed of her child, he assured her that it was fanaticism born of fright, and it was beneath a rational woman to make herself disagreeable to her friends, because she had been worried, by loss of sleep and the fear of losing her baby, into making some rash and preposterous vows. And this was quite as much as he understood about it. How could she explain? She ceased to try, and as much as in her laid, determined to live her divided life and yet have peace. But peace was not what Judge Burnham was waiting for. He wanted concessions, and an agreeable companion always with him in the life which was most to his tastes. As the days went by, it became apparent that these tastes were almost entirely diverse from his wife's. Indeed, there were hours when the poor wife stood appalled before the thought that they seemed to have no ideas in common any more. She had not imagined that there could be so many occasions of difference. But if he was in earnest, so was she. He did not set about winning her as gracefully as he had at first. He had been too successful, during his first attempts, to give him other than a feeling of irritation when he thought of those days and the ease with which he had accomplished what seemed now impossible. I shall have to confess, also, that Ruth's old obstinacy came to her aid or to her hindrance, as you will. Concessions which she could have made she would not, and when she might have resisted gently, gracefully, she often did it sternly, with a determination to carry her point, which was much more evident to her husband than was the reason for carrying it. Thus the breach between them grew and widened. You are not to understand that they quarreled openly and sharply. Both were too well-bred for that. They grew cold toward each other, at times almost haughty. They held endless discussions in cold tones, with abundance of ladylike and gentlemanly sarcasm distributed through them. They planned in accordance with individual tastes very often, when each might have planned for the other. Oh, there were constant errors which this poor blundering Christian wife made. She needed help from the human side, and she had chosen a broken reed to lean upon. Is it any wonder that she made mistakes? Not that they were necessary in view of her position. I am not excusing her. She might even under these circumstances have gone to the stronghold and received grace sufficient. What I am saying is that she had made life harder for herself than it need have been. In other words, led herself into temptation and was reaping some of the consequences. Meantime, many outside influences came to Judge Burnham's aid. For one thing, the gay world sought them out in their seclusion, not merely their friends, but the fashionable world itself. The straggling little village to which Mrs. Burnham had been introduced as a bride would not have known itself if it had been shown its own photograph after the lapse of these half-dozen years. The town had received one of those sudden booms common to regions of the country near great cities. Two rival railroads had built connecting lines through the place, passing one of them within five minutes' walk of Judge Burnham's grounds, and making it possible to reach the city in ten minutes instead of two hours. This of itself had established the town on a new basis. 
then with the railroads had come speculators thoughtful businessmen who examined the river rolling quietly through the outskirts of the village with an eye not to the aesthetic but to business in a brief space of time stock companies were formed and huge factories were rearing their walls toward the sky real estate men came who bought and laid out town lots and advertised them in city markets and city merchants and lawyers looking for breathing places for their families came out to view the land and were charmed so quiet they said so rural so like the country in every respect and yet within a few minutes of the city they invested forthwith and builders came at their bidding and great four-storied palaces were reared and the gas company and the waterworks company and the sewer company and i know not what other company followed hard after and in an incredibly short time every vestige of country life had departed men who had toiled until their hairs were white over a few acres cut them up into town lots and retired on small fortunes and thirty trains a day roared in and out to accommodate this sudden influx of city life and all along the river bank for miles out were rows and rows of tenement houses built for the factory operatives who had sprung up as if by magic at the first sound of the word factory judge burnham's broad acres which had belonged to the burnham name for more than half a century and yielded respectable returns from cabbage and potatoes brought fabulous prices as city lots job ferris hands in his pockets mouth wide open in amazement stood before two men who were clinching a bargain for a certain knoll and finally expressed his mind i'm blessed if them two city chaps didn't pay more cash down for that worthless hill which has nothing but a few trees and grass on it than i could make out of the field of turnips lying back of it if i was to raise two crops a year for the next fifty years of course with all this incoming fashion came also not a few from the fashionable world were drawn in this direction in the first place from the knowledge of the fact that judge burnham's country seat was there and ruth erskine had been so charmed with it that she had gone there immediately on her marriage instead of taking a house in town as the judge had supposed she would wish to do the lady who used to be ruth erskine smiled gravely when she heard this and wondered what her aristocratic acquaintances would have said could they have seen judge burnham's country seat as it looked when she first came to it this train of thought always reminded her of his daughters and then she would go over again their little past since she had known them with a feeling almost of bewilderment when was it that these girls whose beauty she almost felt as though she had created stepped quietly even gracefully yet with an air of assurance which at times amounted to insolence beyond her into a life of which they seemed to think she knew nothing when was it that they began to ignore her suggestions and advice and go where and when they would and wear what they would often with graceful deference to the father but with an air of apparent forgetfulness that she belonged to the same household in the early months of her acquaintance with them their deference to her had been almost painful it had seemed to her such a pitiful thing that young ladies should appear to have no minds of their own even in such small matters as how they should dress for dinner in their own home she had looked forward to the time when they would be able to think and plan for themselves now in looking back she could not remember just when that time had come 
but that it had come was undoubted. In the old days she had been sometimes troubled, sometimes annoyed, because it was always she who was consulted, never the father. On the few occasions when she had sent them to him for decisions, they had been so thoroughly frightened as to vex him almost beyond endurance, and she had therefore abandoned all efforts to force a natural condition of things. Now, as I said, this was strangely changed. Papa was constantly applied to for opinions regarding matters about which he might naturally be supposed to know very little, but as the two bloomed more and more into beauty and prominence in the fashionable world, became leaders indeed in their circle, Judge Burnham's long slumbering paternal pride was nourished with what might almost be called a hothouse growth. He lavished every adornment on them which a fastidious taste could suggest, and plenty of money could buy, and seemed to enjoy with daily increasing delight their deference to his judgment as to the color of a ribbon or the arrangement of a curl. The result of their combined tastes was often a picture. Certainly they had blossomed. The lady who had surveyed with satisfaction the result of her handiwork on that Sabbath morning, when they appeared in the first budding of fashionable attire, looked with a feeling sometimes akin to dismay on the full bloom of the plants she had nurtured. The girls had opinions of their own today, and they were not timid in expressing them. Neither were they like their stepmother in their tastes. Ruth Erskine had not been a leader of fashion simply because she would not be. Fashion, even in the days before conscience seemed to her to have anything to do with it, had not interested her, nor had she been a blind follower of prevailing styles. Because they wore a thing had never been a reason for her wearing it. Neither did she lay aside a style which suited her, merely because it had ceased to be the rage. I wear what I please, had been a sentence often on the lips of the haughty girl when these questions were being discussed among her friends. I am perfectly willing that others should wear it or not, as they choose. Later in life this independence, which in less cultured hands might have been somewhat startling, toned down into a refinement that aimed to bestow enough regard to prevailing customs not to be a person of mark in any way in connection with them, and yet to enjoy her individual tastes. Her stepdaughters, as I have said, were not like her. They were quite willing to be marked in the fashionable world. The very extreme of the prevailing style was what they aimed to represent, and if they were the first to adopt something quite new and striking, the more were they pleased. To be described in a morning paper as having worn the night before at Madame Somebody's reception, the first American representation of a recent Parisian style, which set off their remarkable beauty in a striking manner, etc., would have been a matter of intense disgust to Ruth Erskine. To the Burnham girls it was a pleasure. Such being the case, you are prepared to understand how constantly they differed even in matters pertaining to costume, and, if you understand human nature, you also know that it became natural enough for girls of the type which I think you discovered Judge Burnham's daughters to be, to say, at first to themselves, then more openly, Mama does not understand these things now. She is not in society. Besides, she was always queer. The Tremaines say so. Other changes had come to Ruth Burnham. Her honored father, after struggling for three years with what was to him poverty, 
in a way which had filled his daughter's heart with exultant pride, and after one year more of such marked business success as to make any watchful businessman wonder whether, after all, his way had been the best, and there was such a thing as reward of honor, was suddenly called to that reward toward which his heart had tended during these later years. Very triumphant had been that home-going, hushing the outburst of grief even from the lips of his wife, and making Judge Burnham repeat to his heart, unconsciously, the old cry, Let me die the death of the righteous. But the desolation the father had left behind him was very great. His daughter mourned for him much more than she would have done in those early months of her married life. With the passing years and the bewildering changes in her own home, she had found herself drawn more and more closely to him. It was not strange, therefore, that on this evening, as she sat alone in the blue room, and let the tears fall unheeded on her clasped hands, the outcry from her lonely heart should be wrung from her with a low moan. Oh, father, father, if you could only have taken me with you. End of chapter 2 Recording by Tricia G.